Thanks, Chris. Well, it's a great pleasure to be here this morning uh, to talk to you about some of these issues. I think I know many, <coughs> many people in the audience this morning. I've been the chief executive at, uh, at UCLH uh, since 2000, so this is my what, 13th year. Prior to that, I was 15 years chief executive of a major teaching hospital in Birmingham, Chris already referred to. So Len Fennick, who manages... Um, teaching hospitals in Newcastle, and I vie to uh, argue as to who's the longest-standing chief executive um, of major teaching hospitals. And I've been involved in, in many changes, in many mergers, and uh, perhaps controversially, I'm a, I'm a fan of mergers, um, not all mergers. Uh, I've been involved in, in many of them over my time as a chief exec. Um, in fact, if you look at UCLH, which I think is regarded as relatively successful in the scheme of things, Effectively, it is the product of a series of mergers, uh, many mergers, over many years. And I think the issue with mergers is how you go about doing them. Just simply putting two organizations together and hoping that they're going to become successful is almost doomed to failure. You have to think about the culture of organizations and what it is you're trying to achieve and how you bring them together. Successful mergers take years to achieve, to, so to think that you can succeed in a year or two, I think, is, uh, is very naive. So what have I learnt um, in all this time? Well, I think there were many things. I think the first thing I'd say is that uh, plus the charge. We faced these challenges before, maybe in slightly different guises, but fundamentally <clears throat> there's a little um, facing us now which is different to, to which we haven't seen before. I was um, actually a trainee here at the King's Fund back in the 19, early 1970s, and I remember being involved in these debates um, then and subsequently in the 1980s and the 1990s. All the rage in the 1970s was care in the community. And it was um, uh, all about how we manage financial constraints and uh, how we meet rising patient expectations. So really not a great deal has changed from that point of view. But there are some, I think, some uh, specific differences this time around. I think, first of all, the scale of the economic downturn, as Candice has already said, is uh, significantly greater than anything we've seen before. Uh, however, we are in a vastly better position than we have been before. When I came to UCLH uh, in 2000, uh, we were facing three-year cardiac waiting lists. Public views of the NHS were certainly much lower than they are today. In the intervening period, we've seen uh, <coughs> huge improvements in the quality of care, massive reductions in standardised mortality ratios, huge changes in technology, increases in pay for staff such that we're we can now recruit staff in a way that uh, we couldn't do um, 10, 15 years ago in a whole range of areas. And also investment, again, somewhat controversially, um, uh, although I'm not a fan of PFI uh, because it's an expensive way to build hospitals, again, my trust at the time had the largest PFI in the health service, equivalent to uh, the scale of PFI investment across the whole of southeast London, uh, and yet we've made a success of it. So I don't think PFI is the the cause here, it's again very much like mergers, it's what you do with the PFI, uh, how you change the way in which you provide services to take advantage of the new facilities, so the new technology, uh, and bringing organisations together. Our PFI, for example, is the product of four hospitals coming together without great controversy and the replacement of some much-loved hospitals like the Middlesex Hospital, but it was a dump. And our ability to be able to provide modern health care in an environment like that was severely restricted. So I think uh, we really do need to challenge some of these issues about um, whether PFI is uh, the, cause of, uh, the root cause of some of the problems. 
uh, whether mergers are, are the answer. I think there are other things that are different this time. We are halfway through a 10-year program of uh, foundation trusts, and I work very closely with Alan Milburn. In fact, I was part of his, his strategy group, which came up with a whole notion of, uh, of foundation trusts. And I remember at the time, we talked about what would happen by 2008, when everyone became a foundation trust. And here we are in 2012, and we're only halfway there. I'm, I, I've uh, uh, thought for a long time that the, the number of trusts that will fail to make foundation trusts is vastly greater than anyone was prepared to admit to. Obviously, there are political concerns about admitting to failure, but for politicians to say, as they have done in the past, that there are only six hospitals that won't make foundation trusts, when it was pretty obvious to people like me that the figure is perhaps ten times that number. And the other thing which is different this time is the impact of IT and the way in which IT can be used to uh, change the, uh, the way in which we provide care, and also political uncertainty and the uh, extensive unpopularity of the reforms with commissioning in a state of turmoil. I think the jury is still very much out as to whether the new commissioning arrangements are going to um, survive any longer than GP fund holding did in the 1990s. I'm talking at a conference later on today at Olympia about commissioning, so I'll be very interested to hear the commissioner's perspective on, uh, on, on some of these views. And I think the final thing which I think is uh, really different this time is the uncertainty about who's going to lead these changes. I think it's unlikely that GP commissioners are going to lead these changes. Uh, health authorities are going to disappear, and what will they be replaced with? So there is likely to be a vacuum of uh, strategic leadership and direction. Prior to the, um, the last election, a small group of us went to see um, the then prospective Prime Minister and the Secretary of State to really give our views on what should be in the manifesto. A whole range of things that we said to him, and it would be inappropriate for me to tell you all of them, but the two things that we specifically said uh, was that we need to avoid damaging long protracted legislation and that we need to push specifically, we need to push all trusts through the provider-side reforms that started over 10 years ago. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened. The second thing we said was that we thought the future was all about integration, and I think there was quite a degree of surprise at us saying that, coming from uh, uh, large organisations like uh, UCLH and Imperial and others, others who were there. The future, we think, is about integration and not about competition. So what do I mean by integration? Well, I, I, uh, we could spend all day debating what integration is, and if you go around London and ask people involved in uh, developing integrated care services, you'll get as many different interpretations and views of it as the number of people you speak to. From my point of view, the, the key uh, challenge is how do, we, how do we create new patient pathways between primary community and secondary care? Of course, there are issues about social care as well, but that's another dimension of concern and complexity. But what we've ended up with in London is a patchwork quilt of a large number of organisations that have failed to make foundation trust status. For reasons I don't fully understand, we left the PCTs to decide where their community services would go, and they've literally gone all over the place. Some are managed by the local acute hospitals, some are, managed, some are aiming to be community foundation trusts, uh, some are managed by mental health trusts in different parts of London. So this doesn't seem to me to be a very coherent strategy uh, about developing integration. In my opinion, there has to be uh, very close integration between 
primary care providers, community service providers and secondary care hospitals. We need to effectively change the incentives that there currently are for organisations like mine to keep the cash register ringing. Every time we admit a patient, we get paid for it. Now, that's the way foundation trusts survive. But we need to create new incentives to promote fewer patients being inappropriately admitted to hospital and more patients being admitted uh, and cared for, <coughs> cared for in the community. We did a survey recently in my trust on two days where we surveyed every single patient across our six hospitals and we found that nearly 40% of them didn't really need to be there. There were lots of very good reasons why they were there and some of them are in our management control to address but many of them were because there isn't a system that allows patients to move from one part of the NHS to another without discontinuity. So what's going to happen on the provider side? Well, I think, um, as I've already said, in 10 years we failed to get 100, around about 100 trusts through the uh, Foundation Trust maze. How many, how many will make it? Will the bar be lowered for political expediency? I think that would be a huge mistake if that happened. And what will happen to district general hospitals? What's happening in London at the moment is that there is a continual and continuous aggregation of specialist activity because clearly the major centres, uh, the major teaching hospitals in particular, have much better outcomes and much lower standardised mortality rates <coughs> than hospitals on the periphery of London. These aren't marginal differences. These are huge differences. At the moment, our standardised mortality rate is tracking at just over 60% of the national average. There are hospitals on the periphery of London with standardised mortality rates nearly twice as high as that. Now, we just simply can't continue to do complex treatments uh, in district general hospitals. So there's going to be a continual inflow of specialist activity into the major centres. And at the same time, these DGHs are going to be confronted by patients being treated in developing integrated care systems and losing patients back out into the community. So the future of the DGH, I think, is, 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 is under huge Huge question, and that's probably the major reason, or one of the major reasons, why many of these hospitals will fail to make foundation trust status. So we have a great example. Only the day before yesterday, South East London going into administration effectively. I think it's a, a sign of things to come, and it's a sign of failure all round, not just of the hospitals, certainly not of the people who work in the hospitals, but it's a failure of everyone in the system to recognise or if they have recognised, to do something about the problem in advance of it becoming a crisis. Now, I think that's going to happen in many parts uh, of the NHS, particularly in urban areas, and I think we need to be much more realistic um, about, much more honest and realistic about the prospects for many of these hospitals. David Flory's new NTDA uh, has a major task ahead of him. It's a shame he isn't here to talk to us today because I think Really, he is, uh, he's been given the poison chalice, if you like, of, of what to do with these hundred or so organisations that are going to find uh, this very challenging. I'm not suggesting here for one moment that we close hospitals down. No doubt that some will, but we need to change the nature of many of these hospitals. We need to change what they do. We need to stop them trying to do too many complicated things. We need these what I call local hospitals, to be much more related to and, and much more involved in developing the new integrated care services that are clearly essential. Uh, and also, how are we going to persuade a foundation trust like mine to take on these failing organisations? My board certainly 
wouldn't entertain for a moment the prospect of taking over a hospital that is running a financial deficit unless there was clearly a commercial reason and justification for doing so. I think we have a great opportunity at the moment, because although all the hospitals, uh, many hospitals, are facing severe financial revenue challenges, there does appear to be a lot of cash swilling around the system. Um, the very fact that David Nicholson has returned huge amounts of money back to the Treasury, which you may regard as success or failure, depending on how you look at it, we need to use those, use that non-recurrent resources to enable this restructuring that I'm talking about. So I think there's a real opportunity to use uh, the time we have now to begin to really address these changes rather than finding that by 2015 the coffers have run completely dry and this becomes an even greater challenge. So finally, I want to t- return just to return to this issue about strategic leadership because I think it's absolutely crucial. I've already said that I doubt that fragmented GP commissioning will be cohesive enough to take a strategic view of these huge issues, particularly in our major in our major cities. What will happen to the SHAs when they disappear? Will they be reinvented in a, in a new form as uh, outposts of the commissioning board? Will they have the power and authority to make the kind of changes? Huge improvements, for example, in stroke care in London that was led by the SHA. We need to do that across a whole range of specialties in order to improve the quality of care we provide. Providers will undoubtedly merge into larger organisations to maintain both financial viability and clinical standards, clinical integrity. Many smaller hospitals will be unable to maintain rotors for medical staff cover. Uh, They'll be unable to recruit people if their futures are uncertain. Uh, And therefore, I think there will be a greater reliance upon the major hospitals to provide support to the smaller hospitals. In London, for example, there are potentially... I counted up 42 foundation trusts. I mean, whether that's the right number or not, I'm not sure. But that's the kind of scale of potential number of foundation trusts. I've said on many occasions in the past that I don't think there's room for more than about a dozen. And they need to evolve into these integrated care organisations that I referred to earlier on. Uh, And it's my opinion that these entities... Unlike, they'll be very unlike the existing major, major hospitals, uh, will shape the future of healthcare, uh, certainly across London and generally across the NHS. They'll be fundamentally different to the existing structures. They'll be incentivised to keep patients out of hospital and to make the best use of resources. Undoubtedly, we will need to move to some form of capitated funding, whether it will be whole populations or whether it will be just for the vulnerable members of our society, perhaps the older people, perhaps all older people, perhaps over 70s, for example, or perhaps all those people with diagnosed conditions. But I think we need to be doing a lot more research into the different types of capitation systems that could be developed in these emerging integrated care organisations. However, and my very final point is that much of this, uh, I think, is not going to happen before the next election. I don't think the current politicians, or indeed any politicians, really have got the stomach to make these kind of changes so relatively close to the next election. So I think we need to use this time over the next year or two in creating a new vision for the health service and getting ourselves in a position to make the really difficult decisions which I think will have to be made by the next government in the post-2015 era. Thank you very much.